This episode of Story Comic Presents is sponsored by JanusPointPress.com. Watch out for wormholes. Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 322. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com. And we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed writer, director, and producer, and indie comic legend, Johnny C. Hey, how's it going? My reputation precedes me. <laughs> so this is great. So so we've known each other since 2017. So we've known yes, each other now. The old Vermont Comic Con. Yes, the old Vermont Comic Con times. And where you were actually also as a kind of like actually as an MC of sorts as well for for all the kind of the comic conventions around in the New England area. Yeah. So, you know, I would typically be the voice for the show, right? So, oh, you know, panels are starting at this time. Go see celebrities signing at this location. But when you're the voice of a Comic-Con, what you really are is just customer service. Oh, I lost my wallet. Oh, I can't find my kid. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, where do I go for this? Who do I see for that? You know what I mean? So part of it's, you know, being a good host and being a good voice for the convention. And the other part is literally being a service to the convention goer and making sure that their time goes smoothly and they're having a good time, you know? Right. And so I was really curious, like, how did you kind of get into that kind of role? Because you also make your own, you write your own comic books. You also make coffee. You're also a producer. Uh, so you're doing a lot of stuff. So kind of, kind of give people a little bit of background on how Johnny C became the legend as he is today. <laughs> For sure. Well, uh, so as far as the convention stuff, uh, I worked with a convention pop culture expo out of New England uh, back and way back in the day. You know, I couldn't put a date on it, but I'd say it was uh, maybe like 2009 or mm-hmm. eight. Wow. Something okay. like that. Around that time frame. And uh, basically, I was producing panels, hosting panels. So people would see me there. And then other local conventions and convention promoters would see me at other shows doing my thing. And they would bring me on to their show. That's how Jason Moulton from Vermont Comic Con at the time saw me and brought me on to you know work on his show. But in the meantime, I've always had kind of a creative mind and a creative heart. So I, I wanted to make things. I started off doing some independent film and some, you know, when web web shows and DIY web series were really popular in the early days of YouTube, you know, me and my friends, we made like a little, uh, um, web series show that was kind of based around their band. It was like kind of a, the monkeys meets it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And we'd have a hijinks, you know, throughout the episode and then it would end with a music video. So, you know, that helped me like sharpen my craft of writing because I was writing all the episodes and then directing them, producing them because I would, you know, get all the material and find extra actors if need be. So really I was learning the filmmaking process as I went along doing that, you know, building um, camera rigs you know, suction cups of camera rigs to, you know, my, actually my, my buddy Joe Nasta did that one. Actually, I don't want to take credit for it, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, we'd have a suction cup rig that we'd mount to the front of our car and we could do these dynamic vehicle shots, you know, or, uh, 
my my good friend Ed Boke and I, we built a, a film track so we can move the camera and make it a little bit more cinematic, even though uh, our camera may have not been of cinema quality at the time itself. You know, but if you move the camera just right, you know, you can make you could cheat the eye and make it look good. Right. And and so and so when you started doing that, what made you start also getting into uh writing your own indie comic? So what kind of was the pivoting point for me is that right. uh, I was working on a, we were working all together on a very shoestring budget, a, a pilot that we wanted to submit to networks. And in doing so, it became increasingly frustrating because we had so many problems that came about. Some of the actors we were working with moved away, caused reshoots. Uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to string together to do that. So it, it just became frustrating pulling together a film crew with very little mm. money is a very hard, hard thing to do. So, right. uh, you know, I still wanted to create stories and I still want to put things out there and I never really fathomed making comics, even though I had been reading and enjoying comics for quite some time since I was a little kid. And then eventually it kind of, uh, you know, I, there was a spaghetti Western story I wanted to do. I wanted to film it. It's a pre-existing character from an old series of movies. And I wanted to kind of do a short film that kind of brought that character back to life again. And being in Massachusetts, where I, there's not a lot of locations I could film locally that kind of represent a, you know, spaghetti Western backdrop. I uh, was attending New York. Com oh, I'm sorry. There you go. Sartana. I was uh, attending San Diego Comic-Con, actually. And I was flipping through the portfolio of an artist, Joe Arnold's, and he had some really sweet cowboy pieces in there. And I go, wait a minute, I could probably make this as a comic book. <laughs> and, you know, and that's kind of where that clicked. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to do this as a film. I can kind of invest my creative focus and endeavors towards comics. And that's kind of, this was my first comic book with Sartana. And then you also had from there, cause I also know you as the one that had that, with your surrounded by death. Yeah. Series. Surrounded by death. Yeah. So I like to pitch surrounded by death as mall rats meets the walking dead. So <laughs> when I was waiting for issues in between Sartana, I kind of want, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay idle. So I started working on surrounded by death. I met uh, my collaborator and the actual creator of the story. His name is Mark Elliott out of San Diego. And he wanted to create this book as a, surrounded by death as a novel mm. and as i'm you know as i'm flipping through his manuscript to go oh man this would be really perfect as a comic book so as a producer i decided to take his concept and we you know turned it around and made it a comic and then at new york comic-con that following october i met the illustrator joe martinez we were both waiting in line for the walking dead panel and uh we were just kind of chit-chatting you know when you meet people in line you start to talk to them you know, get all personable. And, uh, I go, well, yeah, you know, I started making some comics and I was mentioning how I was, you know, kind of trying to do my, you know, self-published thing. And I had something in mind and he goes, Oh, well, uh, you know, I was looking about getting into illustrating. And then cool. that's where we kind of decided we'd bring him aboard and we'd all kind of make surrounded by death together as friends, just getting started and doing this. Right. So that's kind of where surrounded by death came in. The story involves coffee so the basic pitch is that the first two issues involve uh, the leader and his best friend going into a dangerous portion of the mall they live in to retrieve more of a specific coffee blend that everybody in the mall loves so that <laughs> they can provide and he can kind of remain the leader. 
but also to kind of impress a girl. <laughs> because, you know, most things that, you know, guys do, dumb thing is to impress somebody, somebody they love, right? I actually ended up, uh, you know, I used to work at a coffee shop in high school. Okay. It's still there, still in the town that I grew up in. So uh, I approached them and I'm, I'm thinking like, how can I bring a piece of the comic book to life? How can I, you know, basically, you know, and here's the other flip side of it. When you go in and you exhibit at a show, the cost of a table is pretty expensive. I mean, you know, you've exhibited at shows before, Barney, so you know it could be a little bit pricey. And when you're selling $5 floppies and you don't have too many of them on the table, you kind of have to get really creative how you can meet your table number so you're not walking away at a loss every time you're exhibiting and trying to get your story out there. So in that thought process, I go, how can I expand Surrounded by Death to make me a little bit more money considering we're only two issues in, but also um, bring a piece of it to the real world. Right. And that's where it clicked, where I went to and approached the cafe I used to work for that was also a roaster to see if they could provide me the beans so I could white label the coffee as the coffee shop from the comic book. And that's where <laughs> Espresso Presto came to be. How do you make the determination by if somebody pitches you a story that you would either say, not a good comic. This is probably good, a good web series or a good, a, a good show. Or how do you, what are some of those things that you, that you look out for that you kind of decide um, what, what genre or what medium it would fit better in? Sure. So, I mean, as I was reading the manuscript and none on Mark Elliott, like, you know, him wanting to approach it as a novelization, that was just what his creative spirit was telling him at the time. So it wasn't necessarily right. the wrong way, but I saw more in the project. And when, as I was reading it, I noticed that it's got a good mix of things that would work better visually, right? Right. The zombies, you know, everybody loves looking at zombies, you know, half decomposed corpses shambling around wanting to eat brains you know and people love the visualization of that and there's only so much you can describe in a novel to really capture the essence and the love people have for zombies so to that effect that right off the bat i was like okay this has got to be something visual and we're not and maybe it'll work as a tv show or a movie but really my love is comics so i wanted to focus on you know, this would be a good comic book, you know? Right. And uh, the other thing was the characterization. So there was a lot of conversational dialogue as most novels have. And I was able to visualize just, you know, the production aspect of the panels where it's just two characters talking, but doing it in a dynamic enough manner where it's interesting per panel because it's set in this post-apocalyptic rundown mall. So right. beyond them just having like a friendly chat, there's fun little Easter eggs in the background and things that you can expand upon that you don't have to, I guess, waste time if you're trying to describe a background joke in a novel, so to speak. You know, that can only go so far. Uh, but when you just have it in the background and something that even when you reread the comic, it pops up after, you know, whereas in a novelization, you're just reading the text and that can kind of get overlooked or that can get marginalized. So it was very much, there was a lot of visuals, visualized jokes that I felt would work better in a comic book format. And that's kind of where I stepped in and I helped Mark produce it that way. How has conventions adapted in a post COVID era? And then what did you do during COVID in order to kind of sustain the uh your convention rhythm 
So yeah, so the it was weird. I can say it's very weird to to have that transition of being heavily doing a ton of conventions to right. having the world change instantaneously. And not you know, not just like a local area, the world stopped. Right. And it's funny when I was doing the conventions and I was telling my girlfriend at the time how tired I was. And I was like, I would just, I would give anything because you got to me personally, I had to keep going. Like you said, there's a rhythm. You had to keep it going. So I was like, I'd give anything for just a break. But I noticed that if you miss an opportunity where you're a guest at a convention, that opportunity doesn't boomerang back again. Usually they move on to somebody else. So I was taking every opportunity I could get at the time, hoping for a break, but really just kind of pushing through. Also working my day job too, nonetheless. So it was just like nonstop. And then the world finally stopped and I didn't know what to do with myself, Barney. I was just like, what's going on? And uh, it definitely affected me. It hit me a little bit. But uh, I was lucky because uh, a compatriot of mine, Keith Gleason, thought, had the bright idea to want to start uh, a podcast or a video streaming show, much like this one, during that downtime. So where I normally go to conventions and I try to network with people and go to the after convention thing and try to meet artists or other creators and, you know, just kind of, you know, build my, you know, build my network of friends and potential audience and things of that nature. I didn't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. But then we found the opportunity by featuring other creators in the show who also didn't have that outlet, the ability to kind of continue doing that. Right. And that was kind of where I filled the gap for it during that time frame. Now, I, do I think conventions have bounced back as strong as they have pre-COVID? No. Hmm. Do I think they're growing to that point? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I think financially, once, you know, if things start to stabilize, you know, because when people in times are tough and, you know, it's really hard to fill your gas tank or put food in the table or things like that, what's the first thing to go but to buy art? and comics and, you know, things and supporting the starving artists, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, that's, that's been difficult, but people have been generous, you know, it was actually during, you know, the tail end of COVID where I launched my Kickstarter campaign and people were super, super generous to that and really helped reinforce making that campaign a success, especially considering how visibly anxious I was throughout the whole process. <laughs> well, and, and so, like what, what, like what you brought up too is that, uh, what are some of the what are what are some of the lessons learned? You think like conventions have, uh, conventions have picked up on and tweaked a bit, um, in a post COVID era now. Well, I think that they realize the they meaning convention promoters have realized that there was an oversaturation of Comic Con events in certain areas. And a lot of them were overlapping on the same weekend. And it, in turn, like nobody was winning. You know, if you have two conventions that are happening within an hour from each other, the same weekend, nobody wins there. Right. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of that's been kind of realized. And I think in turn, having some shows dissipate and the ones that stick stuck through it and have come back, have come back stronger and better and actually gained a little bit of that audience that otherwise would have been lost. 
right. for the show that never came back. Watch out for wormholes, because a good book is a wormhole, whether it's paper or pixels. Explore our artist books and chat books, including the winning 2022 Chautauqua Janus Prize Lecture at JanusPointPress.com. And sign up for news of our upcoming sci-fi, sensual, and literary collection, Event Horizon. This short story collection on cosmic decisions and their impact is written by award-winning author Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos and features comics, prose, photography, and original canvas work by an array of exciting artists. Visit JanicePointPress.com. And have you seen like a different... Uh, a different type of uh, audience that now goes to the conventions as well. I have actually, you know, it's funny. We, us indie guys, we, we talk about it a lot, especially when we illustrate traditional Western comic books is that we see a lot of manga now being the most popular thing that's out there. And it's, you know, that's what's selling the most right now. So you know, it's funny if you're a creator, this kind of goes to show the type of creator you are. If you're going to start trying to make manga to capitalize on the wave of it, you know, good on you to do that. But also, are you just chasing a dollar or right. do you genuinely want to tell a story in that manga format? You know, right. and then for me, when I see something like that, ha- like when I see something where it's like, okay, the times are changing and maybe what I'm making doesn't fit that. I still will make what I want to make because I make it for myself. And I really hope that anybody who picks it up and reads it is just on my wavelength. You know what I mean? So, and we can just, I can share my work with them and they'll kind of understand me a little bit better after reading it, you know? Right. It's almost like when, when the world stopped, anything that anybody had was, either reading or watching stories being told. So it's, it's one of those things too, that it's like, I noticed that it seems as though is that people have a, a different appreciation to the arts than they did pre COVID. It seemed like it's, and I, as you mentioned, we seem, as you mentioned, people seem to be more supportive when they hear that, Oh, I make a comic or I do, or, you know, people feel like there's, there, there's more, appreciation than they almost existed pre COVID as well. When you can find. Yeah. It. I think people understand the struggle for the creative individual. Right. And I think that's more prevalent now than it was in the prior day. Yeah. So people see that now that, you know, anybody could make a YouTube show or go on TikTok and make videos when anybody can do this. And maybe, you know, people have tried and said, this isn't for me, at least we'll then understand how hard it is to do right and to do consistently right. and to do it with quality, you know? And, uh, and, and I think that in turn allows people to be more supportive and more um, open-hearted to create the creative mind and the spirit. Right. So doing this for so long, where have you seen the evolution of indie comics? Where do you see it going now? Well, so I do see crowdfunding kind of being the new comic shops. Comic mm. shops exist. They're still out there for collectibles and comics and for, you know, local audiences and for people to discover comics. But I think where the indie comic scene is, 
now exists on crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or uh, Fund My Comic is a new one. Zoop is another new one that is out there. But you're seeing these new platforms kind of being the place where people are turning to creatively to get their comic books made. Hmm. If someone's looking to get into doing their own comics, what advice would you give them right now? Okay. So I guess, uh, you know, you want to have a firm grasp of the story you're trying to tell. And then from there, you can kind of choose the format in which you want to tell it. You know, there's people, if you want to make a manga, then, you know, there's digital platforms that are out there that are very prevalent in supporting that type of format. Mm. Webtoons, global comics, although global comics is for all types of comics, not just manga. So, you know, but digital is kind of the way to go in that regard uh, for getting your work out there, just mm. as establishing it, network, you know, getting it out there, having it seen, uh, but depending upon what you want to do as a creator. So you kind of have to look at what, you know, you, where you want to go, where you want your trajectory, tra trajectory to go. If you want to work for one of the big guys, then you have to kind of pave a path that will lead you there mm -hmm. in that regard. And that would be, you know, building your social media base, making sure that people are aware of who you are as a creator and that you take it very seriously. And this is what you want to do and then start putting out the work consistently with quality mm -hmm. and doing it independently until you basically shine bright enough that one of those guys from up above will see you. And it's not hard to cross paths with people from these bigger companies. If you go to these conventions, editors from, you know, indie comic uh, uh, publishers, or even some, from some of the big guy, big guys are walking around, you could easily do a portfolio review or, you know, meet with them and pitch stories and ideas. So it's completely attainable. It's just a matter of what you want to do. And I think at one point, a lot of creators have that like glimmer in their eye where they want to work for Marvel comics or tell a Spider-Man story. But I guess once you start to make stories on your own independently, that could change the way you look at things and the way you want to do things. Because, I mean, at one point, I, you know, oh, I'd love to work for Marvel. You know, I want to work for the company that made Spider-Man, right? Mm -hmm. But then I, as, over time, I realized that there's only really one, one or two Marvel stories I have in the back of my head that I'd like to tell. And I really more enjoy telling my own stories and creating my own characters and kind of giving people my unfiltered version of the story as opposed to telling it the way they would want me to tell it right you know i know you know they can they will give creative license to writers and things of that of that nature but you know if there's something they don't like they'll shut that down you know and if you want to be a you know completely 100 percent independently free creatively nothing like making your own books who's your favorite uh writer in comics then so I, i'm a big fan of mark millar I think a lot of his storylines, things he's done, his independent work and the stuff he's done for the other companies is great. Uh, really was so fascinated by Kick-Ass, that comic book he did, which later became a movie. Mm -hmm. But uh, the I've always loved the superhero that doesn't have powers or abilities, just a voluntary drive to want to do good. And kind of like, you know, like a firefighter, right? You know, the voluntary drive to want to do good and save people thing, EMTs, 
things like that, you know, except, you know, there's a slant on it. There's people who dress up and fight crime. <laughs> and I, I just, I love the psychology there. I love all of that. And he did a real good job of capturing that with that comic. And that's one of the reasons why I love that. And he, it's also a little crass too. So it's, you know, when I first started reading comics, you know, you'd read like the regular Marvel DC, but then you look at it like an image or a dark horse book and they just almost seemed kind of dangerous. They had like a mystique and, you know, you being a younger reader, you'd see the cover of Preacher One and, you know, Preacher Number One and you see this church on fire and this priest with a like grimace on his face and it just, it all seems so wicked. You know what I mean? Which actually leads me to one of my other favorite writers is Garth Ennis okay. and all for the same reasons. It's very pushing the edge, but doing it with satire, you know, turning everything on its ear. I kind of love and appreciate that when a writer can do that. And so what's your definition of a, of a good writer then? Oh, geez. So if you, I mean, obviously if they can capture the reader, if they can keep you coming back for more then obviously that's a sign of a good writer, but um, you know, there's always little things you can tell. And I guess a lot of it would be laying your finding your signature. Finding the thing that people appreciate about you and knowing how to consistently do that over and over again. So like I said, where I appreciate Garth Ennis has good biting satire and knows how to subvert the genre and kind of turn things on its ear. Seeing him do that over and over again, that is what a part of what I think makes him a good writer and taking that same mentality and applying it to different things. Like Garth Ennis does some really great Punisher stories, but then also can do something like Crossed, which or preacher which is completely his and they're of two different extremes but they still kind of have the garth ennis flavor i like to think of it as like who else can sing an aerosmith song but steven tyler you know because you know steven tyler's voice right and anything else sounds like a cover band you know what i mean and i think as a writer if you can kind of get your voice out there as distinct and distinguished as it can be that would you know, in turn, make you a really good writer. Right. It's not success. It's not money. It's how you do your craft. So what's next for Johnny C? <laughs> uh, I just got to keep on keeping on. <laughs> but uh, right now, so I've, I've got a lot of projects in the, uh, in the fire. Uh, I'm currently working on a horror story with a collaborator of mine from San Diego. He's a booth mate. Uh, I, I have at San Diego Comic-Con. His name is Jam James Andrew Clark. And in um, kind of you know, sharing table space together, we we were pitching ideas back and forth and he came up with a really good one. We decided to collaborate on it. And basically it's uh, Green Acres meets Lovecraft. <laughs> so it's a little, it's a little funny. It's a lot of horror, but uh, you know, it's kind of that vibe somewhere in between where, uh, you know, when living down on the farm isn't just about cows and chickens, there's also monsters about too. you know? So I'm working on that now and I'm really on the tail end of that project in terms of writing it. And then I'm going to be moving on to uh, a, a spinoff of Surrounded by Death. Okay. Which uh, I'm going to, I'm kind of slowly developing that. I've got an artist out of Chicago. His name is Keith, Keith Grasmick. He's going to be working on that with me. Uh, really looking forward to rolling that out. It's still, like I said, still in the development stages, but I have a few characters already kind of in place for that, that I'm going to, going to develop further, but it's definitely going to be an antithesis to surrounded by death. So we're surrounded by death is one way. This will be the opposite of it. You know, like, uh, you know, it, it's not the 
sitcom in a mall with zombies. This will be a little bit more grittier and hard edged, I think. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of the flip side of that, but it'll still have some absurd moments and things. Like one of my characters is going to be a, uh, a mime who is like a mercenary thinks snake eyes, but he's a mime. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Snake eyes from GI Joe. Right. But, um, yeah. And then, uh, and then after that, I got some more Sartana I'd like to do. And, uh, couple of different anthologies that uh, i'm working on that i'd like to get into one of them is called we suck at comics it's from the guys <laughs> at wayward raven and so the, their first volume was uh primarily collected of stories that were rejected from other anthologies right that they collected and put together and it actually turned out to be a really good book of some pretty awesome stories you know it does just because the story is rejected doesn't mean it's bad right it just meant that there probably wasn't room in that book for you you know what right. i mean or just wasn't the right fit of that or could have not been the right fit right so this is you know kind of the right fit because there wasn't anything except if if you've been rejected come to this anthology that's That's a great concept that's a monster yeah it's pretty good i've noticed that books that have clever titles like that there's another anthology i was a part of called uh cthulhu is hard to spell (laughs) and that was the uh, the great russell nolte from wannabe press right you know it's such a catchy title and he had such an awesome cover that it's one of my best-selling books at shows People wow. see that cover, they see the title, they chuckle, and they, they have to pick it up. So, so Johnny, if people want to learn more about you, where's the best place they could go to? So right now, predominantly social media is the best bet. If you want to find me on Facebook, search Your Johnny C, Y-O-U-R, like, like in my name over here, yeah. on the thing over here. Yeah. So Your Johnny C at Facebook.com or on either Instagram or X at, at Johnny C138. Okay. Yep. And that's my Instagram page. It was my birthday yesterday. I got my cake there. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks. And you got hot sauce. Yeah, you got hot sauce. I have hot sauce too. So I partner with Jeff Levine from Silk City Hot Sauce to produce a a hot sauce blend uh, that's basically based on Surrounded by Death. So Jeff likes to take artwork from other comic creators and just kind of put it on a bottle and sell a hot sauce and, you know, say, Hey, I'm featuring an artist. When he approached me about it, I go, no, 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 no. I want to get into the kitchen with you and develop the hot sauce. So we took my formula. We made a hot sauce out of it. It's got habaneros, beets, raspberries, blueberries, blue agave, nectar, apple cider, vinegar, cola, and salt. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's delicious. Sorry, okay. I was just going to say, you can follow, usually follow me on any of these platforms, uh, or you can buy some of my gear here at bigcartel.com. Okay. So just go to johnnyc.bigcartel.com. You can buy Sar- Sartana. You can buy Surrounded by Death. Uh, or you could also see me on Monday nights with my good friend Keith Gleason on YouTube at Indie Comics Relay. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Johnny. And it was, you know, I, it, it took me four years, but I finally was able to get you on my show. So I was excited. Well, see? thanks, man. I appreciate you having me and, you know, allowing me to share a little bit of my time with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll have to get you back on the show with me and Keith. We loved having oh, you. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
Hang on, let me um, I, I, those kids should be in bed. They're jump. I hear them. Do you hear thumping? Do you hear thumping? I don't. I don't actually. That's a good mic. Okay, that's a really good mic. <laughs> um, at least they can hear. Them. I'm gonna mute my mic because I'm just gonna yell up and tell them to stop jumping and get the. Yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> hey, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? 